0: Mental health encompasses so much more than people realize. It affects how we think, feel, and act, and also determines how we handle stress. Luckily, there is a community resource called Transitions Mental Health Association, serving San Luis Obispo and North Santa Barbara counties, which provides support in the form of community, work, housing, or recovery. We're going to learn more about it today with Jill Bolster-White, Executive Director of Transitions, and Megan Boaz Alvarez, Clinical Director of Transitions, both at Transitions Mental Health Association. This is Healthy Conversations, the podcast from Tennant Health Central Coast. My name is Prakash Chandran. So, Jill and Megan, really great to have you here today. Really appreciate your time. Megan, I'd love to start with you and just ask a simple question. What exactly is mental health?
1: Well, I think that's a great question. And one of the things that occurs to me when I hear you say that is people often think of pathology when they think of mental health or think of mental illness. And I think it's much broader than that. It's helpful to think of mental health as mental wellness and and really think about how we should take care of our mental health just the way we take care of our physical health. Like it's part of whole person health. And so that would include, you know, mood, how we're feeling, how we're coping with stress how we're managing, you know, communication and relationships, all of those things, I think, fall under the umbrella of mental health.
0: Jill, I want to move over to you. You know, Megan kind of alluded to this already, but I know that some people think of mental health as mental illness, you know, things like schizophrenia, but mental health is really much broader. So are you able to describe maybe the various types or levels of mental health?
2: Certainly. Certainly. It is a wide range. And I think Megan well described that mental health is really a sense of well-being and overall sort of emotional health. So there's a wide range of that. Our organization, Transitions Mental Health Association, primarily focuses intensive services on people who have a diagnosed mental health condition. And so you mentioned some schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, clinical depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress. Those are all diagnosable mental health conditions. And so that is a part of mental health that usually suggests that somebody is going to want to seek treatment. And so treatment can be in the form of therapy and medication, but Also, all the things that we all can be doing for our own mental health, taking good care of how much we're sleeping, how well we're eating, and having good, healthy connections. So that's important for everybody's mental health and well-being. But as I said, there is a wide range of mental health conditions and things that can impact our mental health.
0: So, Megan, I wanted to ask, you know, people are encouraged to get an annual physical every year with their doctor. Is there some type of equivalent for an annual mental health checkup that you can recommend?
1: I don't think anybody has ever asked me that before. Should you do just an annual checkup with a mental health professional? I think... It's funny, as a mental health professional, I think the answer is no. It might be something you could check in with your primary care physician on, but really... I think, up to each of us or within our power to take care of our mental wellness on an ongoing basis. And I don't think we necessarily need the help of a mental health professional to do that. Not that I don't think therapy is great as a therapist. I endorse it for anyone at any time. But there are a lot of things we can do to just take care of our own mental health. Jill mentioned some of these things, you know, eating right, making sure we get enough sleep, making sure we take care of our relationships, stay connected to those people that support us, Exercise, of course, is always a big one. Exercise has a big impact on our mental wellness.
2: And I think I'd like to add to that, that what we can do is really pay attention to how we're doing and maybe those around us. So there may be times where we feel like maybe our relationship, a marriage or a primary relationship is undergoing some strain or a bad patch. And I think what our organization would really like to see is just elevated understanding of mental health and how to identify when gosh this would be helpful to talk to a professional or do what I think a lot of people do, which is to rely on good friends and family for those kinds of check-ins. Good, strong relationships can really actually contribute so much to mental health. And so sometimes it does take uh, maybe a conversation with a primary care physician, as Megan mentioned, to bounce ideas off. You know, gosh, I'm having this struggle, or I'm feeling anxious about my work, or my relationships, or how my children are doing. And so. I I think it's important, and I do think having been through the COVID pandemic for the past 18 months has also really elevated people's awareness of mental health. I think a lot of us have experienced anxiety and concern and depression in ways that maybe we haven't prior because of some of the unknowns or some of the impacts. So I think Megan's exactly right that it's not so much an annual checkup, but as a heightened awareness that we all have about checking in with our own mental health and being able to have the language to talk to people who we care about and love if we're seeing signs in them that maybe they might need to get some help, maybe find a support group, find a therapist or initiate that conversation with a primary care physician.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. You know, I I think one of the reasons I asked that question is because people typically it feels uncomfortable and unnatural to sit still and to check in with oneself. You know, something like an annual physical exam, it's on the calendar. It's something that's recommended. It seems like uh, as human beings, we just tend to let things like fester and boil and bubble up to the point that they can become problems. So, you know, Jill, you mentioned some of the signs that potentially mental health might become an issue or even potentially harmful to oneself or others. Can you talk about some of those? signs that people should really be aware of?
2: I think one of the most important signs, and sometimes this is, you're exactly right, that it's really hard to recognize in ourselves. But I think a couple of signs are just when it's really impacting your life. So if, for instance, somebody is really outgoing and normally connects with people and has friends and gets out, and that is really changing some you know, a person becomes uncomfortable, or you just sort of goes radio silent, that might be a sign either when that's happening to yourself, or if you see it happening to someone else that, that there may be something else going on. I think, again, if I can speak personally, just a level of anxiety, feeling like, gosh, I'm feeling really anxious, it's really hard for me to focus, because there's just so much unknown. And that's certainly been a feeling I think a lot of us have had during COVID is just, I don't really know what the right thing is to do or what the safe decision is or how to protect my family or, you know, people at my workplace or myself. So sometimes it is a sense of maybe feeling depressed, feeling overwhelmed, feeling really anxious. And when it does feel like it's affecting other elements of your life, then I think that's a good moment to explore how to take the next steps, who to talk to, how to mitigate that, those feelings when they're really impacting the quality of your life or your ability to just do the things you need to do to function. Yes, I think those are all the right things to look
3: for. Changes in mood, changes in behavior, eating, sleeping. We can notice that in ourselves and also notice that in friends or family and realize, you know, I think maybe I need to reach out to this person and say, hey, are you doing okay? I haven't seen you, you know, at book club or whatever the usual activities are, and pulling away from those activities is often one of the first signs that somebody is not doing as well with their mental health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it may sound a little cheesy, but these signs around that you see that we're in this together is actually pretty important because we all have to support each other. And if we recognize that someone that we see on a frequent basis, if we recognize that they're maybe going through a hard time or their stress levels are elevated, it's almost our responsibility to check in with them and to make sure that they have the support that they need. Wouldn't you say that's true, Megan?
3: I absolutely would. I There's a speaker that I really like who talks about mental health and also suicide. His name is Kevin Hines. And He says, I am my brother and sister's keeper and really talks about it is our responsibility to say, hey, are you doing okay? When we notice that somebody isn't and also really convey that it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to need some support. It's okay to need some extra help. It's okay to need someone to talk to about what's weighing on us and that connection and the offer of that connection can just really make all the difference.
2: I would absolutely echo what both of you are saying, I think, to really pay attention to how people in your circle are doing. And if that gets overwhelming, to sort of make sure you have somebody you can hand off to. Because like I said, I think that we've had a lot of evidence during this pandemic, people trying to intentionally isolate themselves because of wanting to stay physically safe. But the impact that that can have that isolation and disconnection from others is really important. So I know encouraging everyone to reach out to someone, you know, who you just haven't heard from in a long time, or you've gotten some signs that maybe they they are struggling or that they've sort of just hunkered down and aren't, aren't reaching out. I know here at Transitions Mental Health Association, we've heard a lot from people who are reaching out, who are saying, gosh, I really would love help finding a therapist, or we've gotten lots of calls on our hotline, the Central Coast hotline, from people reaching out. So I think that is happening, but not as frequently as we'd like to see. I think it's also really helpful for us
3: to know who in our own lives are our go-to people for this. You know, do I have that friend or family member who I can reach out to and say, hey, I'm not really feeling okay and I need to talk about it. It's really good to know who those folks are when we're doing well. And even kind of have that conversation like, hey, could I reach out to you if I was having a hard time? Because it's really difficult to do when we are in those moments where we do feel more isolated and we are struggling with our mental health. It can be really hard to reach out. And knowing who that person will be for each of us ahead of time can be just incredibly helpful when that moment comes.
0: Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, sometimes this isolation that we're talking about can lead to people wanting to harm themselves or even become suicidal. And, you know, one of the things that I read, Megan, is that San Luis Obispo County has a higher rate of suicide than the state overall. So I know this is a difficult question, but can you speak to why you think this is?
3: Oh, I think that's a difficult question and it's not something that we fully understand. We do know that we lose older males to suicide more frequently than some other populations and we may have a higher population of that demographic. So that could be part of the reason, but it's definitely something that's concerning and it's something uh, that we talk about. I'm co-chair of the San Luis Obispo Suicide Prevention Council and we're really trying to look at how do we reach these individuals that we know have a higher risk that maybe we don't come into contact with our usual suicide prevention efforts that maybe don't get the information about the Central Coast Hotline? How do we reach out and make sure people are aware of that resource? If not for themselves, maybe for you know, their loved ones, friends and family, how do they know how to recognize somebody might be at risk and reach out and ask them if they're okay. Uh, Transitions Mental Health Association offers trainings to the community on kind of gatekeeper suicide prevention, just really basic what to look for, how to know somebody might be in trouble, and then what to do if we do recognize that, how do we get that person's support.
2: It's an important part of our hotline training, actually, is to talk about assessment. And so that is really important because I think, as anyone can imagine, those are really hard conversations to have if someone brings up self-harm, or feelings of suicide that can be really stymieing. What do you say? Do you, you know, ask more questions? And that can feel naturally really uncomfortable and difficult. And so I think Megan's bringing up some really good points that having some idea about how to broach that topic and not shy away from it. And another thing, Kevin um, Hines, who Megan also mentioned, is a suicide survivor. And he talks a lot about that importance of, you know, sort of not shying away from the conversation and how important those human connections are. And it's a big part of what the Central Coast Hotline tries to do is to be a resource to have people know that there's someone available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to speak to if someone is feeling suicidal or feeling in crisis. So I think that's an important resource. And as Megan also said, it is hard to understand why our Particular counties' rate is higher, but demographics do tell part of that story. And I think, Megan, you just mentioned a statistic about youth suicide. Would you mind repeating it about how I think it's the second leading cause? I recall. Yeah, that is true. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for youth
3: aged 10 to 24, which is terrifying as a parent of two teenagers. So I think mental health is always on my radar. As a professional, because I am a therapist and I I do run clinical programs, but also as a parent and as a community member, just being very aware that we need to talk about mental health. We need to encourage people to take care of their mental health. And also watch out for each other. Bill, I so appreciate that you mentioned the Central Coast Hotline as a resource. It's a twenty four hour resource. And the great thing about that is you don't actually have to know what to do or even what to say. If you just know enough to recognize somebody's not okay and you call and ask the Central Coast Hotline, hey, I'm not sure what to do for this person who seems to be in trouble. Can I get resources for them or can they talk to you? There's help just very readily available in our community for trying to figure out what to do in those moments. You don't have to figure it out on your
0: own. And Megan, I wanted to stick with you for a minute. One of the things that you mentioned was the importance for people to know the signs, right? That someone might be at that breaking point and might be suicidal. So can you speak to some of the signs that people should be aware of?
3: Oh that's a great question. I so appreciate you asking. I would say changes. Changes in mood, withdrawing from usual activities, being kind of disconnected from friends and family that they're usually in contact with. Changes in school performance, changes in eating or sleeping patterns. Somebody who seems depressed is somebody that we should be worried about. Somebody who seems angry or agitated could also be at risk of suicide. And I think if we see any of these things, what's really key is to ask and just say, hey, you know, I noticed that you seem really down and I'm kind of worried. I know sometimes when people feel depressed, they start to think about suicide. And I'm worried you might be thinking about that. Is, is that what's happening? And you know, oftentimes, if somebody is thinking about it, they'll be relieved that somebody asked. And if they weren't thinking about it, they're, you're not going to create a problem by asking that question. That person's going to recognize, well, wow, this person really cares about me, that they would take the time to, to ask this question and explain why they were asking. And it just creates an opportunity for conversation.
0: So Jill, in trying to destigmatize mental health, What are some of the preferred words or preferred language to use in the community today? Like, for example, you don't want to call someone crazy, but I'm imagining that there is a body of vocabulary that is more respectful when you're addressing mental health issues.
2: That is, language is so important. And so I think we are sensitive to words like crazy and insane, especially when it's used in sort of advertising or just in, you know, general conversation, because those are pretty stigmatizing words. The other thing I think we're careful about is labeling to say someone is a schizophrenic or is bipolar. Somebody is not their diagnosis. And so I think we try to use language that describes that as part of who they are. So somebody who has a diagnosis of schizophrenia or someone who has a mental health diagnosis. I think we try to understand these as the genetic disorders that they are. There's a biological basis that likely had an environmental or a precipitating factor. But again, these are conditions that are through no fault of the individual. So I think that it's important that the language reflect that, to not be blaming or shaming. And I think for me to try to think of mental health, just an important part of our human condition and our human fabric. And instead of thinking that someone has done something wrong, that somebody is not strong or capable or intelligent, because in fact, it's absolutely the opposite. Some of the folks that we get to work with here at Transitions Mental Health Association are amazing and resilient and have gone through some very difficult and traumatic situations that in some cases have led to their mental health diagnosis. And we certainly see that in every population. So from people who may be homeless because they have an untreated mental illness to, you know, someone who is working and married and sort of doing all those kinds of regular things, but also is functioning with a mental health diagnosis. So I do think being really careful about, you know, describing things as insane or crazy or or using those terms disparagingly, I think we really need to work hard at excising that because I think that prevents people from... Recognizing how important getting help is if there is a mental health condition, or yeah, or accepting that may be something that's happening to a member of their family or a friend, instead of being afraid of it, which has been the history of mental illness, is really fear and backing away. Is to really try to step in and be supportive and understand and know that these are treatable and recoverable illnesses. I think when you know 50 years ago we couldn't really imagine that someone would recover from schizophrenia, that their symptoms could be regulated and controlled and that they could live really fulfilling, wonderful lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Megan, you know, I kind of wanted to start closing the conversation with you. There might be someone listening to this that might be having some of the mental health issues that we discussed today. They're having a hard time. If they want to get help, what can they do or where should they go if they're having a crisis?
3: If somebody's having a crisis, calling the Central Coast Hotline is always a great place to start. And the person who answers the phone is a highly trained. Call handler who can help assess the crisis and identify what types of resources might be helpful in that moment of crisis, and then also identify some ongoing resources for support. If somebody's struggling with mental health, starting with a therapist is always a great way to go. Medication can be helpful too, and people can talk with their primary care physicians about what's happening and start the conversation there and kind of explore is it going to be a primary care issue or is a referral to a psychiatrist maybe going to be necessary. But I probably have a bias as a therapist. I definitely think people benefit from therapy and that's a great place to start.
2: I think I would also add that even therapy used as just a boost, you know, sort of like a booster for a family, for parents, for couples can be really helpful and really important. So I think, you know, just if somebody is feeling just some general stress and that's impacting relationships, that's a great way of having an objective professional assist. And so I would also recommend looking at therapy in, in that way.
0: And Jill, we've mentioned the hotline a couple times. Are you able to share the number?
2: Yes, it is and as we mentioned, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, a warm, empathetic and trained person will be on the other end of the line.
0: What a fantastic resource. Well, I really appreciate this conversation today. I have learned so much and also it has just reinforced the importance of being a supportive community, family member, and friend. So you know, just before we close here today, Jill, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our audience?
2: I just appreciate this opportunity to talk about mental health and just remind everyone to be a resource and to know that there are resources out there. And thanks so much for this opportunity.
0: Of course. And Megan, I'll give you the last word.
2: Sure. Thank you. I would just say, if, if
3: you're concerned about a friend or family member, just check in with them and say, hey, are you doing okay? here's why I'm asking. Let's talk about what's happening. And that can open the door to the conversation.
0: I think that's fantastic advice and the perfect place to end. Jill, Megan, thank you so much for your time.
3: Thanks for having us. It's Our pleasure.
0: That's Jill Bolster-White, Executive Director of Transitions, and Megan Boaz-Alvarez, Clinical Director of Transitions, both at Transitions Mental Health Association. If you'd like to call the hotline mentioned today and speak to someone, you can call 800- 7830607. We really appreciate you checking out this episode of Healthy Conversations and to learn more about TMHA, which is the Transitions Mental Health Association, you can visit www.t-mha.org. If you found this podcast to be helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the entire podcast library for topics of interest to you. This has been Healthy Conversations, the podcast from Tennant Health Central Coast. My name is Prakash Chandran. Thank you so much, and we'll talk next time.